want to welcome everybody in at our East St. John location, everybody watching in online. Uh, for those of you who are new here, my name is Brent. I'm the senior pastor at King's Church. And you might not know this, but we're one church in a variety of locations. Right now, it's specifically just here in, St. in the Quispam Sis, and we have another group of people meeting in at Cineplex Theater in St. John. However, in a few weeks, they're going to be moving to Bayside Middle School, so we're excited about that. Hey, can we just all welcome one another wherever you are? Maybe you're watching online. We're glad you're with us. All right. I am glad you decided to come out. We're jumping into a brand new series today called For Better, For Worse. We're going to look at the for better and for worse of marriage, relationships, and sex. We're going to have fun for the next few weeks. I can't wait to jump in. But before we jump in, I just want to throw some ground rules out and a few disclaimers and a few kind of, I want to set the expectations for us uh, so that we, we have the right kind of mindset. First thing, I want you to know this is going to be fun. We're going to have just grown-up conversation. It's going to be good. It's going to be fun. There'll be some lighthearted moments. Uh, but it is grown-up conversation. So parents, if you don't want to have the talk on the way home, you should have your kid in kids' church. Last warning. I, I, I've spoiled Santa before. I will also set you up to have the talk on the way home. So, hey, this is, a, this, this is, not, this is PG-13 at best. All right. It's not going to be explicit, but we're going to have grown-up conversation. So that's, that, you need to keep that in mind. Here's another thing. This is a teaching series. So I'm going to spend a lot of time driving through content. Most weeks, if you, if you just joined us for the first time, most weeks what we do is we just open the Bible and I'll preach from a passage in the Bible, ask what God is saying from the text. But this, this is a little bit different where we're coming at it with a topic and we're asking God, would you speak? Where do, where does, what does the Bible say about this topic? So I'm doing a teaching series. We want you to uh, just track along as best you can. You can see on the guide that you got when you came in, there's a note taker on the back. I want to just help set you up to get some of these principles because we're going to be covering a lot. So you need to put your thinking caps on. We're going to move fast. So make sure you track with me. It's going to feel a little different than it normally does because this is a teaching series and we've got a lot to cover. So make sure you, you understand that. Okay, a couple ground rules. First is this. This series, everybody say this. Repeat after me. This is for me. Very good. I don't want you elbowing your spouse. No eye rolling. No. All right. Approach this next few weeks as, God, what are you saying to me? Or maybe you're just new to faith. Maybe you're not so sure about it. I want you to, to approach these few weeks with an open mind as to what's, what, what's God saying to you or how can you improve yourself. You don't worry about your spouse. You worry about you. And for you singles who are here, God has something for you as well. Whether you're yet to be married, maybe you're formally married, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're widowed. I believe God's going to speak to you in this as well. So just don't write this off over these next few weeks because this, I think God is going to do something for you. Final thing is this, and we're going to jump right into the topic today. I want to establish that the framework by which we are operating here is based on the Holy Bible. That is what we're basing the conversation on. It's not on cultural interpretation. It's not on emotions. It's not even on, I'm not Dr. Phil. All right? Like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a counselor. I'm not, not a psychiatrist, a psychologist. In fact, I don't even know what the difference between a psychiatrist and a psychologist is. So there you go. What I do is I, I look in the scriptures and ask God to speak. And so when we come to this topic, we're coming at it from a scriptural basis. 
So what I want you to do is keep an open mind as to what God would be saying. And maybe you're new to faith or maybe you're not so sure about faith. Would you give us permission to have a dialogue within the confines of faith? Okay, so we're talking about this based on the Bible and what the Bible says. So we'll give you the freedom to take or leave whatever you want. But those of us who are Bible-believing Christians, we are operating under the authority of the Word of God. And that's what we do every week. Amen? That's who we are as a church. So we're jumping in, and I want to talk about marriage. I want to start off here this week. But maybe some of you are asking this question. Okay, I come here every week, Pastor Brent. I've been here a while, and you've never talked about this. Why are you talking about this topic now? Why are you jumping in? Well, the first reason is obvious. Marriage is hard. Can I get an amen? We're going to be honest in church for the next few weeks. I got your survey results. You're not fooling anybody, all right? Marriage is hard, and it affects so many of us. Whether you are married or maybe you're still living at home with your parents' marriage or, or, or what have you, marriage is so hard, and it affects so many of us. We're crazy not to talk about it. And frankly, I find when we get talking about marriage, we find we have a whole lot of common ground, don't we? In fact, what you find is most of us are dealing with some form of the same issue and the same problem. It's really quite simple. Although the expressions are complex, the problems and issues we face in marriage, we, we all face them, don't we? It's funny, I was on, uh, I was on BuzzFeed uh, a couple weeks ago where all great things come from, right? BuzzFeed. Don't go searching that, by the way. But anyway, like there's this, this article came up, every marriage ever in 25 tweets. And so if you're married or have been married, you will understand. I think you'll find this funny. If you don't, uh, maybe I'm, my premise is wrong that we have a lot in common as married people. But I found these tweets. I thought they were funny. Uh, here's Mark. Mark said this. He was describing his marriage. I don't know if we have these tweets. Oh, good. He said, he said Facebook post. Five years ago today, I married my best friend, my soulmate. I love you. Real life, eat all the leftovers again, and I will end you. <laughs> I love... <laughs> Yeah, somebody, somebody's like, yeah, so, all right, I'll get that. Blue said, I need you to be spontaneous, be predictable. I need intimacy. Give me my space. Load the dishwasher. Not like that. Uh, that sounds a little familiar. Just saying. I thought this was funny. Josh pulls the curtain back while his wife's in the shower. Are we, uh, stop screaming. It's just me. Are we out of Cheetos? I think that's, that's, that is marriage, isn't it? James Breakwell, James Breakwell says this, how to fold laundry like me. Step one, fold it in half. Step two, fold it in quarters. Step three, put it in a pile. Sounds about right. Step four, watch my wife angrily refold it. <laughs> Simon Holland says this. He's a good Twitter follow, by the way. He says funny stuff all the time. My wife and I are pretty sure if we make coffee, we can stay awake to watch a movie after 9 p.m. So yeah, I'd say we keep it pretty lit. I think that's good. <laughs> Sarah says, stop, says, not to brag, but my husband just came back from shopping for my birthday gift, and he was carrying a Rite Aid bag. <laughs> That's awesome. And then Simon Holland said this. I thought this was funny. 87% of married sex starts with someone pausing house hunters. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. We just thought, you know what, I gotta, we got to hit this topic, though. 
because it affects so many of us, and so many of us find common ground there. And it is an incredibly important topic to talk about, isn't it? Because it's a struggle, and many marriages in the church struggle, and we need to talk about these things, because what we're going to see as we unfold this series is that as marriage goes, so goes the church, so goes the family, and so goes the world, as we would believe, based on what the Bible is going to reveal to us. So we do this, one, because marriage is hard, two, Personally, on a personal level, I'll just be vulnerable for a minute. I've avoided this topic for five years. I've been the senior pastor for it'll be five years this summer, and I have not taught on this topic for a couple reasons. Reason number one is I just haven't felt like an expert. Apparently, I read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's The uh, Outliers. Anybody ever read that book? Great book. And he talks about like becoming excellent in things, basically. And he says that if you, if you spend 10,000 hours at anything, you become an expert. Well, I actually did the math this week. I'm almost to 100,000 hours in marriage, and I still do not feel like an expert. So I felt God kind of saying, you know what, Just you're not going to be an expert. Just preach the word. Don't worry about your own experience. But I've avoided it because I haven't felt like I've had much to say about it because I'm still learning just like you, and I'm still in the heat of the battle just like you. But then I also avoided it because I know we've got a large group of singles in our congregation. And so I haven't wanted to, to speak on a topic that I thought maybe wouldn't hit you. But a couple things I would say to that. Singles, don't write this off. I believe God's got something to say to you. And so make sure you listen close because I think God wants to do something for you. We would be crazy to not talk about something that affects so many of us because, because I'm afraid to do it. So that's, that's why we've stopped or I've talked about this. I decided to. And then finally this. Culturally, it is an incredibly important time that we talk about marriage. We as the church especially need clarity in this area. I would argue that never before in the history of the world has it been more important for the church to have a clear message on what we believe marriage actually is. Not only what it is, but more importantly, why it matters. And so I just want to start here today, and we're going we're gonna to fly through some things. But what I want to do for us today is I want to ask these questions. What is marriage as the Bible defines it, and why is it important? Why does it matter? What is the meaning or purpose of marriage? And I want to start here because what I believe about, about this is, what I believe about marriage is this. That how you think about marriage sets the framework by which you operate in your marriage and will determine the experience you largely have in your marriage. How you think sets the trajectory for your entire life. How you think filters the information that comes in and it actually determines the responses you have. How you think is what matters the most. I want to start here because I'm convinced that until we think rightly about marriage, our marriages will be prone to increased dysfunction. So we're going to get in in the coming weeks into the stuff you do in marriage. But I want to start with believing right and thinking rightly about marriage. Because right now, your marriage is the byproduct of your paradigm and your spouse's paradigm. And so before we get trying to do behavior modification, what we need to do is we need to do mental modification and we need to change how we think about marriage in the first place. And this is how God actually teaches us to do life, isn't it? Romans 12, 2, Paul says this, Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's he saying? He's saying if you want to change your lifestyle, change how you think because how you think sets the framework by which you operate. And so the same is true about marriage. 
That if you're having marital dysfunction and, and difficulty, it's ultimately the result of your perception and paradigm. So maybe if we can change how you see your marriage and how you understand marriage in the first place, we can change how your marriage feels and functions. And so I want to start here about what and why marriage is. The trouble in most of our marriages is not a matter of what we do. What you do is a byproduct. The trouble stems from how we think about marriage in the first place. Today the word marriage means a lot of things to a lot of people. And many of us have a concept of marriage and what it is that's actually setting us up for failure and difficulty. And I want to state this. There is a direct correlation between the state of marriage today and how we understand marriage today. The results of marriages are a direct correlation. There is a direct correlation between the results people are getting in marriage and the state of marriage with the understanding of marriage. What do I mean? Well, right now, more than ever, marriage has been more on the rocks than it ever has been in human history. Not just marriages. Marriages are struggling right now. There are, there are more divorces now than ever before. Over half of marriages will end in divorce. That makes for right now in America only, only there are 13,000 divorces every sec, every thir, or sorry, 13, sorry, one divorce every 13 seconds, 6,600 per day, 46,000 divorces per week. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's a lot. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of heartbreak. That's a lot of division. Now, many of you have been through it. Marriage are, marriages are struggling. Here's a stat that's scary. Half of American children will witness the breakup of their parents' marriage. Of these children, close to half will also see the breakup of their parents' second marriage. I wonder if the results we're getting in marriage, or maybe if we just zone it in, and we're not talking about marriage in general, but zone it in on your marriage, I wonder if the results that you're getting in marriage have a lot to do with how you think about marriage in the first place. I, th I saw one stat, and I thought this was interesting. Uh, one, one study showed that the higher degree of education you have, the less likely, I mean, it's, these are just stats, but the less likely you are to get divorced. I wonder if there's a way to think about marriage that actually changes our experience, changes our understanding of it. Never before has marriage been more challenged, and never before has our current thinking on marriage been more vague and more broad. And so before I define what marriage is, I want to just deal with a couple things, uh, ways that we think about marriage that are incorrect, like stinking, stinking thinking, let's call it that. That's what's on your note taker. Things that we think about marriage that are going to set us up for difficulty. And I narrowed down three ways that we often think about marriage, that basically if, if this is your paradigm and your expectation, you are set up to fail or set up for frustration, increased frustration or disappointment. The first thing about marriage, the first way of stinking thinking is this, that marriage is everything. That marriage is everything. You think too much of it. Now stay with me. Some of us go into marriage, our understanding of marriage, we come in under the assumption we are Jerry freaking Maguire and you complete me, right? You're, you're Faith Hill. How do I live without you? Right? I could keep going. I'm going to make sure you're paying attention. Our expectation on marriage is this, that in my spouse I find my soulmate and I am not complete until I do. And that it is your job, dear wife, to complete me. 
And I know, we, I know we chuckle at that, but most of us, I would say the vast majority of us, go into a marriage relationship with that assumption, that it is your job to make me feel a certain way, and when she stops making you feel a certain way, all of a sudden we're having trouble. Because your expectation on her or your expectation on him was unrealistic to begin with. Some of us approach marriage with an understanding of it where we're trying to get it to accomplish something for us it was never designed to, to accomplish. It's like using an appliance the wrong way. Tomorrow, if you decide you want toast and you want to use your toaster in the tub... Your toaster was not designed to cook toast in the tub. You will have soggy toast at best, and you might die. <laughs> there is a way that marriage is supposed to function, and some of us come into it with a false presupposition on how this is supposed to roll out and how she or he is supposed to always make me feel. Some of us have false expectations. Your ceiling in some ways, and I'm going to make a great case for why your ceiling should be high for marriage, but sometimes we think too much of it, that it's absolutely everything to me, that the foundation of my world and my existence rides on this one relationship. When you use something in a way it was not designed for, it's dysfunctional, it will disappoint you, and it might even be destructive. And for a lot of people, you think wrong about marriage because you think everything, I need to find completion in this relationship. Marriage wasn't made for that. Stinking thinking number two is the polar opposite. And you see this a lot now. And you see a lot of people, they don't think marriage is everything. They think marriage is nothing. It doesn't, just doesn't really mean that much. Like, you know, it's, a, it's an antiquated social, sexual relationship. It's an arrangement. And, you know, I could take it or leave it. I could get married and not get married and get married again. And it doesn't really matter. And they don't value it and they don't hold it in high regard. Well, that also leads to a bunch of things. If, if thinking too much of it leads to dysfunction, it leads to disappointment. In fact, you know what? Never before in human history, I don't have this in my nose, but never before in human history have people had a harder time committing to a spouse than now, it, maybe it's because our idea of what that spouse needs to do and accomplish is actually impossible, and there's no such thing as a perfect husband or wife. And so for some of us, we think too much. Some of us, we think too little of it. You just think too little. It doesn't really matter all that much, and it'll float in and out of marriage. Maybe I don't get married at all. Maybe I'll just live common law, and we'll do that. That's not the right way to look at it either, as we will find. And then that has rolled into where we are today, where there's, there's a line of thinking where people think too much, people think too little, and then there's people who think too freely of it, too broadly. Marriage is anything. We now live in a time where the word marriage has been redefined to mean a variety of things. And as a pastor, I just want to say this. This is not going to be a message about homosexuality, and this is going to be a message about our position on that. I have a stance on that, and you can go back in our backlog and see our church's position on that. That's not what this is. And let me just say as an aside, just to just set the record straight, the church has no right telling people who don't believe what we believe how they have to live. We have no right to even be there. But we live in an incredibly important time where the church needs to be able to understand you don't need to force your way and your paradigm on other people, but you do need to know what we believe and what the Bible says. And so the church needs to know what it is we believe about marriage. How do we define marriage? What does the Bible define marriage as? How do we define it? It is our business, and we cannot let the world we live in redefine the definition of marriage for us. 
I mean, they can call it what they want, and they can do with it what they want. They're free to do that. And I want to live in a country where people are free, and everybody has the same liberties as I do. I'm not putting that on anybody else. But what I am saying, within the family of faith, we need to understand what we believe and why. We have to understand through the lens of faith. The church is in dangerous, destructive territory if we allow our definition of marriage to form its basis from what culture says and not what the Word of God says. To do so is actually pulling at the thread of the fabric of our faith. So it's crucial we know what we mean by marriage. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to define marriage. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to move fast. The reason I'm talking so fast is because I've got a lot I want to cover just in this beginning. I should have done an eight-week series. You live and you learn. It's four weeks. We're going to get through it, though. You, are you with me? Yes. All right, good. So what is the definition of marriage? How does the Bible at least define that? Because that's, that's where our argument begins and ends. If you're a Christian, you basically need to come under the, under the Bible and how, I guess, you need to interpret the Bible. But here's how we interpret what the Bible says about the definition of marriage and how we understand it. If you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to read that in just a second. But here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Marriage, first and foremost, you need to understand it like this. Marriage is something God designed. It's a holy creation. It's a holy union. God made marriage. God designed marriage. It was his idea. It was a holy gift from God. God brought it unto creation. Now, I want to show you something in the Scripture. I don't have time to look at all of it, but I'm going to just kind of paraphrase. If you go to the first book of the first, bi first book in the Bible, Genesis 1:1 talks about the creation account. Now it's not a scientific, you know, catalog. It's not showing how molecules came to form. It's not saying Big Bang or God spoke. This said God spoke, but it's not saying whether it's Big Bang or it was instant. It doesn't get into that. It's a poem and an allegory for the fact that God did create everything, and it shows the value of creation. And in the creation account, it shows us something that I don't want you to miss. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, you see in the poem, and it's actually a Hebrew poem, if you read it in the original language, and it's structured like a poem, and it says that God created the heavens and the earth. So he creates these kind of complementary opposites day by day. The first day, God made heaven and earth and brought them together. The second day, the Bible says that God created the atmosphere and air and brought it together. The third day, God created land and sea and brought it together. Are you seeing this? Two different things complementing one another that are designed to complement each other and work in tandem. Day four, God made the sun and the moon and stars day and night and brought them together. Day five, the Bible says that God made the birds of the air and the creatures of the ground and it came together and he saw that it was good. Day six, God made human beings. God made man. It says in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18, Then God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. Now out of, the out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the field. But for Adam... 
there was not found a helper fit for him. I like that word, fit for him. There was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up the place with his flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man into the woman, he, he made into the woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast, come together with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed." What I want you to see here is that God, in creating all things, this is what the Bible lays out here for you to understand. God, in creating all things, wove the fabric of creation together. Heaven, earth, day, night, land, sea, birds, animals, man, woman. And it's like he tied the knot of creation with bringing these two people together, two complements, two opposing, two different creations coming together in intimacy to form a connection, and God wove creation together in that fashion. Do you see God's design behind this? This is the first instance of marriage as we believe in our faith. In Genesis 2, you see God makes man and woman, brings them together. God gave the woman to the man to form a marriage. Here's a question I would ask some of you who are married. Again, I want you to get thinking differently about marriage. If, I can leave, if you can leave here today thinking about marriage is for the better, we've, we've done our job. When you think about your marriage, do you think of it as sacred do you think about marriage as holy, as something God designed? Like you think about, like if, if you really believe what we believe, you believe in creation, and you believe the fact that none of this is happenstance, and there is a designer behind it all. What our Bible tells us is that after God designed the, the magnificent heavens and earth, and the cosmos, and the nebulas, and black holes, and the deserts, and the mountains, and the seas, and gravity, and tides, and sunsets, and animals, and butterflies, and flowers, at the end of that, the pinnacle of his creation was he formed this union. Wow. When you think about marriage, do you think this is holy ground? This is sacred. This is God ordained. God made this. How do you think about your marriage? I, a lot of the time, I'll, I'll, I'll lead the way. That's not how I think about it. And kids are running around, and you're doing schedules, and she's barking at you, or you're barking at her, and like that's, that's just how it goes. But marriage as God prescribed it was a beautiful, holy, sacred creation. Marriage is a gift from God. It's the most intimate human relationship, and the Bible defines it between a man and a woman. He gives a man to a, a woman to a man. In this account, you see the original marriage. It's one man, one woman. It's not a man and a man. It's not a woman and a woman. It's not a woman and a boy. It's not a man and a girl. It's not a man and many men or many girls. There's only one variation here, and it's through a man and a woman God gave marriage to. That's how we define it. Now, you can go through the Old Testament, and you can see dudes that had a bunch of wives. The Bible writes that ship. The Bible's messy. 
But you find in the New Testament, you, you hear Paul, he says, a man has one wife and one wife only. The Bible defines it as in the most intimate human relationships between a man and a woman. And here's what the word I want you to get in your mind when you think about what marriage is. Marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant. Now, a lot of the time we run into problems in our marriages because we don't think of it on terms of covenant. We think of it in terms of contract. I come to the table, maybe you even did a prenup. You come to the table, and here's what I bring to the table. Here's what you bring to the table. This is mine. This is yours. And we're going to agree. And we're going to meet in the middle. And so long as you hold up your end of the bargain and I hold up my end of the bargain, all will be well. And then if, in fact, you breach contract, we'll dissolve this relationship. That's how most of us, when we think about our marriage, we process it. But in the Bible, the Bible doesn't see it as a contract. It sees it as a covenant. And language of covenant is way, way more extreme than contract. It was more of a melding. It was, a, it was, a, it was an adjoining. It was coming together as one. I love what it says in, in the text. It says in verse 24, I don't know if the guys have it or not, but it says in two, Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So the Bible talks about marriage as you are one unit. You're not an individual. You're one together. That was so weird, I know. You're one. You have, you have one life together. You, you have your one being, one entity. That's who you are. You are one. That's what a covenant means. Two people becoming one. You aren't an arrangement. You aren't a contract. You aren't a mutually agreed upon relationship. When you get married before God, you become one flesh. And sex is actually like the closest act or representation of that that God gave marriages. But you have to understand when you think about your marriage, we're one. It's not me and her, it's us. When she wins, I win. When she loses, I lose. When she hurts, I hurt. When, when she feels good, I feel good. You're one flesh. And don't we get this wrong all the time? Like, I do. It's her and me, and she needs to get on my side. But the Bible says you're one flesh. You have one life. You're one person with one mind, one heart, one dream, one mission, one bank account, one home, one family. That's who you are. You're one. A covenant. It's extremely complicated, but two people become one flesh. Marriage is a gift from God. This is, this is why the Bible says God hates divorce. There is room. There is room for divorce. We even believe that, and there are, we, there are grounds for it. But the reason God hates divorce is because divorce, if you break a covenant, it's different than breaking a contract. Breaking a covenant is dismemberment. It's the death of a being. That's what that means to God. That's why he hates divorce. It's because it's so destructive. Marriage is a covenant. It's a gift from God to be experienced by one man and one woman who come together as one eternal commitment called a covenant. Okay, I've got like not much time left and I want to turn the corner because I want to get into what is the purpose of marriage and why should we even talk about it? Why should we be excited about it? If I can le let you leave here today thinking and believing that, you know what, marriage, my marriage or maybe my potential marriage is for my good, we have done what we wanted to do today and we'll get into to other stuff next week. But here's the question I want to ask, and I'm going to fly through it. You should have it on your note taker, and we're just going to bang these out real quick. Are you with me? I know this is heavy stuff. You awake? East, good. 
What is the purpose of marriage? I've got five quick observations that I want you to understand when you think about your marriage. I want you to think rightly about it. I'll just confess, as I've been diving into this, this has really changed. Just It's beginning to really shift how I think about marriage, and it's shifting how I filter things. It's shifting how I see my bride. And I hope it does the same for you. But here's the first of five. Number one, marriage was given to strengthen us. God gave humanity marriage to strengthen us. It was designed as a complement to a human being who was lacking in certain areas. Now, I know I poked fun at the you complete me and the false expectations, but marriage was in fact designed to bring two parties together who were very different to complement one another and bring strength to one another. God designed marriage to bring two different people together who are strong in different ways, who are weak in different ways, who fit together as one greater person. That's what God designed marriage for, to actually bring strength to you. It says in verse 18 in Genesis 2, it says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God gave us marriage to enhance or complement us in our lack of certain capacities. That's why God gave us marriage, to fit together in our differences, anatomically, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, intellectually, sexually. The whole thing, God gave humanity marriage to to see a coming together that complements you in your weakness. Let's all agree today that none of us are perfect in and of ourselves. We all have weaknesses, and God designed marriage to actually enhance you in your areas of weaknesses and strengthen you in your areas of strength. That's why he made marriage. So think about this, because here's where I get hung up all the time. The way that I find her different than me is often my most greatest source of frustration. Anybody? What if God made her different from me? to be my greatest source of strength. Like, what if God designed marriage? You ever hear the opposites attract? Yeah? Anybody marry someone different than them? Yes! Amen. What if God did that on purpose? What if God drew you to somebody who's different than you on purpose? God made us complementary. How often in our marriages do we view our differences as our greatest weakness when in fact it should be our greatest source of potential strength? Because we're different. There's all kinds of frustration that goes with that, and we're going to get into the weeds later. But you got to understand this. Was God, when God designed marriage, it was to help you in your weaknesses, to find a helper fit for you. Here's a question you need to ask yourself Do you think of your spouse as your greatest weakness or your greatest strength? You got to think rightly about marriage. Number two is this. Marriage wasn't just given to strengthen us. Marriage was given to bless us. Marriage was a gift that God gave his kids saying, have fun, kids. Do you you see it? Let's let's just just let let's all let it all out. They were buck naked, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Go, little ones. Have sex and make babies. Have fun. That's what God said. It's in the Bible. Don't look at me like that. Go home and read Song of Songs. 
Christians. Over and over, the Bible declares that marriage is a blessing. It's, it's not just like to help you, like to help get through the hard times. Marriage, God designed marriage to just be a source of joy, of increase in your life, that, that you're, of pleasure. Do you know that that's God's heart? We sometimes think of God as like, is this, this, this divine being that to get off our backs? God is all for your pleasure and joy. That's his heart for you. And one of the greatest things he gave humanity was this marriage to be a constant source of pleasure. Proverbs says it all through the Proverbs. Proverbs 5, 18. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always and may you ever be intoxicated with her love. Welcome back, guys. <laughs> Breasts? <laughs> Marriage benefits you. Marriage is a blessing. Proverbs 12, a wife of noble character is her husband's crown. Proverbs 18, he who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Like guys, like I know this, do you think of your wife like she, she's favor? She's a grace to you. She's God's blessing to you. Proverbs 19, houses and wealth are inherited from parents. They're saying you can get that a variety of ways, but a prudent wife, a smart wife, a shrewd wife, a good wife is from God. It's a blessing. See, God designed marriage to be a blessing to you. It's not just the Bible that actually says this. Like, like scientific data, stats support this, that marriage actually is an enhancer. It's a blessing and a strengthener. Uh, here's some stats I found. People who are married have a longer life expectancy. Married mothers have significantly lower rates of depression than do single or cohabitating mothers. Married couples build more wealth on average than singles do. Married men earn more money than single men with the same job and same education. Married, I, I don't make the rules. That's just, that's just the stats. Married women are statistically and economically better off than divorced, single, or cohabitating women. Here's some stats on children. Children raised by their own married parents are less likely to be, born, to be poor or experience persistent economic insecurity. They're more likely to stay in school, have fewer behavioral and attendance problems, earn four-year college degrees. They're less vulnerable to serious and emotional illness. They're less vulnerable in, to depression and less vulnerable to suicide. These are all like these stats of how marriage was designed to be a blessing to you. Just really quick. You have to think right about marriage, that your marriage is a blessing to you. It's not a curse. You're better for it. I know you've got problems. I know there's things going on, or he did this and she did that, and you've got all kinds of issues to deal with. But if you can just pull back and understand marriage for your better, you will be better off. And you need to see your marriage through that lens that God gave you marriage for your joy, for your strength. You're better for it. Do you think of your marriage as your greatest potential blessing? Marriage was designed to bless us. Now, let's, let's talk about this. Number three, I'm, I'm almost done. Mar num number three, marriage was given to shape us. Marriage was given to shape us. It's about our refinement. That God, and this is, this is where we we, most of us never get past this. This is where most of us get hung up. What happens when you get married? Let me, let, me, let me just track it for you. you. You have a season where you fall head over heels in love. 
At some point, he proposes, and you get married, and then you move in together, and he starts shaving, and his freaking hair's all over the <laughs> sink, and she bites her nails or whatever, like, and all these things, you start waking up to, like, what, the person I married, where did he go? Or this, this thing happens, remember that? Like, that? Did you get that? Did you get the panorama? Yeah, there. And you start to wake up. There's, there's, great, there's great data on it. There's one uh, psychologist, Dr. Harville Hendricks. He talks about like marriage in three phases and how very few marriages get to kind of what he calls a true love phase. But there's a first phase that, that most of us jump into. We all get into this phase called the romantic phase where we're just like head over heels in love. You see them with complete blinders on. Like, oh, she's so hot and I just can't stop thinking about her. I just want to be near. I want to love you and I just want to drive five hours to see you and I just can't get enough of you and they're staying up till like three in the morning on the phone. What you doing? Like that's, that's what that's, that whole, see, that whole season is. If you're married here today, you had that season, didn't you? Like just like, I, like I remember Pastor Seth, he was not exaggerating. He and I dated our wives at the same time. We lived together. We were engaged together. The minute we were done school on Friday, we were in the car driving as far as it took to get to our girls. We were just like head over heels. They were perfect. They still are. But, but what happens? What happens? You get married, and then you start doing life together, and all of a sudden, it's like the switch happens, and you're living with this person, and they drive you crazy. Not my wife, but yours. Like, like they, 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 right? Like, no, this, this struggle starts to ensue, and every marriage has it. You start to notice things that bother you about the other person that didn't bother you before. And what, what Harville Henders calls it, Dr. Henders calls it, it's the power struggle stage. And every relationship gets to the stage of power struggle where you're starting to jostle for position. You start to see each other differently. And you start to try to navigate these inadequacies and deficiencies. And you start to wrestle through. This is where that tension arises in marriage. And the thing is, he's, it's the most brilliant thing. He, he says this, that if it wasn't for the romantic phase, you would never get married. You wouldn't. Like it's something that God designed in us. You need those blinders because you would never commit to something like that with that person if you saw them for how, they, how you should. It, it, it sounds funny, but it's true. But here's the thing he gets to. He says after that happens and you commit together, you come together and there's this power struggle season that happens where you're trying to find your rhythm and figure each other out. And then it goes, he says, if, if you can just stick it out and invite marriage to be a process and not a problem, it's going to create something beautiful. But most of us never give it enough time and we don't fight hard enough in it to find it, to actually create what it's trying to do. I'll read the quote directly. He says this, quitting during the power struggle stops something beautiful that is struggling to be born in the relationship. You'll be getting rid of the partner, but keeping the problems. Better to keep the partner and get rid of the problem. You don't just need your partner, you need marriage to reveal the problems in you. 
And a lot of the time we don't see marriage as doing its job when those tensions happen. But God actually designed marriage to be the greatest source of friction so that it causes you to actually have to deal with certain things about yourself. But a lot of us never get that far. We're so focused on what's wrong with them. But God actually designed marriage to be your greatest source of refinement. You're better because of that struggle. And then someday, and many, many of you have gotten there, and you know, I've found my marriage has just gotten more beautiful the, the, the farther we've gone together. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Like what we have now is so much better. I mean, we, we, sometimes we miss that, that kind of googly-eyed phase. That was so fun. But what I have now is so much richer and deeper and better and truer because we didn't give up. You know what? We've had our ups and downs. But God is creating something through that friction and through that relational tension. It's giving birth to something beautiful. God designed marriage on purpose. Here's a question I would ask because I'm, I'm coming in for a close. Hang with me. Those of you who are married, do you view your marriage as a problem that you're in or a process that you're in? Is your marriage a problem or is it a process? Are there labor pains and contractions and, and, and difficulties that are actually giving birth? They're, they're creating something beautiful in you both. Marriage was given to shape us. Number four is this. We're going to come in for a landing really quick. God gave us marriage to bless the world. God gave marriage to bless the world. Marriage was actually about not just human flourishing, but creation flourishing. That's why God made marriage. If you read the creation account, God crowns his creation with this couple. And then what's he say? He says in Genesis 1.28, says God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful. You ever wonder what the heart of God for your life is? Fruitfulness and increase. Look what he says. Be fruitful and increase in number. Go, kids. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God's heart for creation was that it would abound and flourish and increase. And his mechanism to make that happen? Marriage. God designed this couple to sit in authority over the whole of creation and to make more couples and more marriages and more people and to cultivate the earth. God designed, God gave this marriage to actually be the kind of bedrock of creation. God created marriage to be the launch pad and bedrock by which his creation would grow, be cultivated, and flourish. He meant for marriage to be the thing that brought more and more joy and more peace and more order and more stability into creation. That's what God gave marriage for. Do you realize how much there is riding on your marriage? Think about this. We don't have time to get into all this, but... If you keep reading in Genesis, you go to Genesis chapter 3 and you see where sin comes into the story and there's, that's where the whole breakdown happens and we don't believe God's bad and God makes bad things happen to people. We believe that sin entered the world through human error and caused a whole bunch of dysfunction that we live in today. But you don't even see Satan in the Bible until when? Until the marriage happens. You don't even see him come on the scene. Because he knows if he's going to disintegrate and dissolve creation, he's going to target the marriage. See, God gave marriage as a 
source of blessing to the whole world. The world is better when marriages are better. As marriage goes, so goes the world. As marriage goes, so goes the church. As marriage goes, so go the children. As marriage goes, marriage was purposed to be the stable, solid ground by which new life springs forth. I just want to press this on you to make a resolution. I know we didn't get into like practical tips and tricks. And you know what? Like you can behavior modify all day, but until you see yourself right, until you see your marriage right, you might as well not even bother. But if I can just implore on you that you need to think rightly about marriage, that your marriage is a gift, that God gave us marriage, that God designed it, that your best days don't have to be behind you, that there is a way forward, that God can heal old wounds. Maybe some of you are here and you're like, man, I really lost it. I really screwed it up. You know, or, or maybe they screwed it up. Maybe you were hurt and you're feeling all kinds of condemnation about that. God has good things for you and you need to resolve something in your mind that marriage is for the better. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has given us marriage? That it's for you? It's for your blessing? It's for your good? It's for your prospering? We need to change how we think. Here's the fifth thing and then I'm going to wrap up. The fifth thing that marriage was designed for, it was designed to point us to God. You see, right in the picture of marriage, you have a symbol of our relationship with God. That's what this whole story is about. God actually gave marriage as an emblem, as a symbol, as a picture of our relationship as humanity with him. And right there in the beginning, you see the picture of heaven and earth. You see the picture coming together. You see that God and humanity have this marriage going on. And that God actually gave us marriage as a picture of our relationship with him. And so for us Christians, marriage is a picture of the gospel of Jesus. It's a picture of the gospel of Jesus. It was designed to be a picture to remind humanity of our relationship with God. The story goes as you flip through the Bible, and I'll just give you the, the Cole's notes. But essentially, after this marriage happened, there was a great divorce. Not with Adam and Eve, but between God and humanity. Adam and Eve, the story goes, they, they sinned against God. There's this great act of adultery. And all of us have sinned against God, the Bible says. And the Bible tells the story about this marriage between heaven and earth that was fractured through earth's actions, which all of us have contributed to. The Bible goes on, it tells the story of this reconciliation. This is the story of Jesus. Jesus came on the scene. He talked about himself as the groom, often referred to himself as the bridegroom. He talked about coming to, to save his bride. The Bible tells us, and we're told in the history, the gospels tell us that Jesus Christ of Nazareth was crucified on a cross and he died. And we believe that he died for the sins of mankind. He died for our sins to reconcile us back to God, to fix our broken relationship. And he paid the price. And then he offers us to come and be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So basically, Jesus walked down a road onto a cross which served as an altar. And he invites us all to walk down the aisle to the altar and to take that commitment before God and receive life. That's what marriage is. Marriage is a picture of the gospel. Put simply, the greatest purpose of marriage is this. That it demonstrates and declares the gospel. Your marriage is meant to point to your need for Jesus. Marriage takes grace. A true marriage takes the grace of God. 
It's a picture of it, and it requires it. Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors, he says it like this, and I'll wrap up, and I just want you to get this in your mind. He says it a lot better than I do in his book, Meaning of Marriage. He says this, so what do you need to make marriage work? Just listen to this. You need to know the secret. It's the gospel. And how the gospel gives you both the power and the pattern for your marriage. On the one hand, the experience of marriage will unveil the beauty and depths of the gospel to you. It will drive you further into your reliance on it. On the other hand, a greater understanding of the gospel will help you experience deeper and deeper union with each other as the years go on. And the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. This is the only kind of relationship that will transform us. You see, without the gospel in your marriage, that's when you, all these problems happen. But when the, when, you, when the gospel, when Jesus, when grace becomes central to your marriage, all of a sudden you're forced to deal with your own issues. See, most of us, and I'll get into this next week, hope you come back, but most of us, we just kind of get entrenched and we say, you're the problem and you need to change. Well, the gospel says, no, you're the problem and you need to change. But there's grace for you. So I want to pray for you. I'm going to invite you to stand. You guys in the east as well. But I just wanted to set the record this, this morning, this week. And I want you to just think rightly about marriage. And we'll come back and we'll talk more about what to do. But some of you came here to get your marriage right, and that's great. And I'm, and I'm, I'm praying and hoping that God clicks some things into gear for you over the next few weeks. But it starts with getting your relationship with God right. Your marriage will only be as good as the grace that you have received from Jesus Christ. And I, it is really hard, it is really hard to do marriage and you need grace. Let's pray. God, there's so much to say about all this and frankly, I just feel like we dove so deep into such a complex and big topic, but I pray, God, that for everyone who came here today and everyone online, everyone listening, Lord, I pray that first and foremost, people would begin to see their marriages differently, that they would see their marriage as a gift of grace to their lives. And then, God, I pray that they would begin to see their marriage differently because they see you differently. They see your goodness and your grace and your forgiveness and your compassion and your mercy and your kindness. And it would just disarm, Lord. I pray for the marriage that's just encamped against each one, one another. And I pray that your grace would rush in in such a way that it gets them to lay down their arms and take up the cross and receive the grace that only your, your blood can buy us. And I pray, Lord, that through that you would reconcile marriages in this season. So, Lord, I pray for the couple who's here today and maybe on their last their last last stage. Maybe they're just about to give up. Lord, I pray that your grace would rush in. Lord, I pray for the one who's here today and they haven't heard anything I've said other than they need to get right with God. And I pray that they would do that. God, would you, over these next days and weeks, would you infuse your goodness, your intelligence, your grace, and your mercy into our minds, our hearts, and our marriages. And we pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.